0: Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uctana, and today we'll be talking about understanding the deeper soul-level ways in which we connect with people, including soul groups, peer groups, and individuation. New souls come into being every day. The stuff of the all that is coalesces to express a unique being in the form of a soul, and that being is very gently and lovingly cared for as it begins an eternal journey of becoming. Part of its beginning is to be joined by others until a soul group has formed. There are mature souls, which for lack of a better term I call social workers, whose career or calling is to care for new souls. This care includes a minute evaluation of who they are, their tendencies, interests, and aptitudes, which allows the caregivers to encourage the forming of soul groups. As a soul group comes together, a teacher comes forward to accept responsibility for and form a deep love connection with the group. They will remain as teacher, mentor, best friend, parent, and confidant for as long as the soul group remains associated with each other, which may be for eternity. A soul group is always formed of new souls, so most closely resembles a family of siblings who are all the same age and yet have no sibling rivalry. Groups range in number from 15 to 40 members, not including their teacher, and quickly develop a familiarity with each other which creates an unbreakable and incomparable bond. This is in part because souls have no container. As beings of energy or light, we communicate with each other through what is in embodied life called telepathy and empathy, the ability to communicate thoughts and emotions. Because there's no container to hold in these things, our every thought becomes an action, which impacts everyone else around us. So too are emotions. Our thoughts and feelings are deeds which instantaneously reach all those around us, and vice versa, in a dance of being. As newly become souls are no more enlightened or wise than any other newborn, the group is at first a mass of roiling chaos like puppies or kittens at play. Their existence is fully taken up with learning how to be and how to coexist with their siblings. Once the basics have been mastered, the soul group will venture out to learn about interacting with other soul groups, with other types of souls, with the Akashic City, and much more. This process strengthens the bonds between soul group members through shared experience while at the same time creating ever-richer familiarity and textured relationship. This can be loosely compared to the bonds which form during college or on road trips. For better or worse, we don't truly know someone until we've shared concentrated time with them in new and potentially stressful situations. Once a soul group has learned all their primary lessons, they may choose among a variety of methods for the next phase of becoming. One of those methods is physical embodiment, which provides both education and practical experience in whatever subject is being studied. Not all or even a majority of souls choose this method, in part because becoming physical is a difficult process. Also, while physical embodiment is considered an accelerated form of learning, which allows us to learn more deeply and completely in a condensed fashion, It takes an equal amount of effort, and there's no guarantee of success. Physical bodies are fragile things, prone to all types of damage and failure. A life might be cut short by accident, the negative intent of others, or through our own actions, thereby preventing the soul from achieving its goal. Learning through embodiment takes quite a bit of practice, and so the first several hundred lives a soul will undertake are not educational in the sense they help the soul become more of their potential, but instead they're practical lessons in how to form, exist in, and hold on to an embodied form. There are planets where souls take on very simple shapes to learn how to exchange gases in order to gain nutrients. There are some which teach how to live symbiotically with other beings, giving what the other needs while taking and receiving sustenance in return. Like learning math, each embodiment builds on the one before, until all the necessary skills have become second nature. After a soul group has decided to utilize embodiment as a learning method, they'll begin the process of embodied skill acquisition. Once all soul group members achieve these skills and are ready to take on the challenge, the group will begin embodying as humans in order to learn further lessons of becoming. At first, the soul group will embody as a physical group, often a family, in order to take on roles for each other. This way each can experience being a child, parent, grandparent, as well as a sister or brother, lover, peacemaker, instigator, black sheep, screw-up, and much more. In a group endeavor of this kind, the individuals can feel safe to fully explore each new experience, while at the same time receive clear feedback from people who undeniably know them best. This also allows souls to set up serial embodiments, so after a death they can rotate back into a new embodied life to do more focus more fully on a lesson they haven't yet fully completed, or repeat something they're not yet able to comprehend. A majority of past life memories stem from souls who are in this process. For some reason, usually a life cut short due to violence or accident, the soul wasn't able to complete a previous life and so come back relatively quickly and therefore remember their previous experience rather too clearly. The next phase of the educational embodiment process, after family groups, is to engage with other soul groups. No matter the size of a soul's own soul group, no group can provide all the experiences or hold all the roles necessary for the ongoing becoming of its members. We need to come into contact with others who have trod the path before us, who have different perspectives, alternative experiences or another means altogether of interacting with embodied life. To this end, soul groups reach out to other groups in order to expand who will play roles for them, provide experiences, and support them in ever-expanding and increasingly deep lessons of becoming. This can mean an individual may embody into another soul group's family unit, or they may work with only a small number of their own soul group in less of a core relationship capacity. The soul's soul group may be friends or cousins rather than siblings or parents, for example, thus leaving their primary relationships for other soul groups to fulfill. It's not unusual for a soul group who has reached this part of the process to stop repeated embodiments and shift into what can be thought of as the one-third program. One-third of the soul group will be finishing up an embodiment while the next third is embodying somewhere else, and the last third has remained in the Akashics to further their becoming via alternative methods. These embodied lives will be more targeted towards the individuals becoming in one area or another. Lessons concerning power and its use or misuse, manifesting in the face of fear, of service versus sacrifice, as well as creating and maintaining good boundaries while deeply interconnecting, are common in this phase. While we create what are thought of as past-life connections with other souls throughout both the family and expanded group phases of embodiment, thereby building a knowledge of and history with individuals beyond our soul group, which are meaningful and supportive, it's in the third phase which we begin building out some of our most significant interconnections. This is when we begin the process of individuation. Each soul is a unique individual from the moment it comes into being. However, the fact we have no barriers or encasement, communicate through merging, and spend a significant part of becoming in a homogeneous family unit, the tendency of most souls is to focus on unity, harmony, and the group. While some souls are precocious in that they are naturally prepared to move out on their own, seeking ever-increasingly personal lessons and opportunities for becoming? Most souls are not. Therefore, in the individuation phase, they choose embodied lives which encourage them to move out of secure group settings and into lives which break new ground. These lives often feel lonely or even unsupported, as they're structured to encourage the soul to create new support structures. They're meant to have the person rely Not on their soul group or other souls they have past life history with, but new connections they form through choice and even chance. In a life of individuation, the soul is gently or not so gently encouraged to branch out of their comfort zone. This can mean every attempt they make to have the life they want and deserve is thwarted if they attempt to create it through connection with someone else. Business ventures, which require a business partner in order to flourish, fall through. Marriages full of waiting for the other partner to help build a dream home or move to a dream location fail miserably. Friends, while enthusiastic, end up never being quite in sync with the dreams spoken of, and nothing moves forward unless the soul decides to do it for themselves. This can feel incredibly lonely, difficult, or even frightening. However, once the soul engages in the work, things manifest in amazing ways which are not only rewarding, but almost magical. In this phase of the embodiment process, the rest of the soul group rarely embodies with the individual. This can seem like abandonment, but it's actually to support the soul in their effort to individuate. Others of the group may be embodying at the same time, but often in other countries, other continents, or in situations which keeps them completely separate from everyone else. The remainder of the group will be monitoring their siblings and providing support from the other side of the veil, but in such a way as to not interfere with the individuation process. But the interactions the soul is having in this phase are creating the history, which will inform any embodiments they choose to undertake in the future. Through all of these phases, there comes a point in the maturation of a soul where they are no longer focused solely on their own becoming. This equates roughly to our notion of becoming an adult, which is not so much a hard line or a completion of a set of lessons, but more like the unfolding of a lotus or a rose into its full and glorious potential. The soul not only continues to seek ways in which to expand into its full potential, but to join in the process of enriching and supporting the rest of all that is. This is what I call being in service, or undertaking a soul career. Part of a soul moving into an existence which becomes career-oriented means moving beyond direct interaction with their soul group. Each soul has one and only one soul group and will be interconnected with these beings forever. However, once the purpose of a soul group is complete, Once each member has individuated and has chosen a manner of benefiting the greater universe, the soul group simply stops, well, grouping. The individual soul will create new groups of various natures, which are meaningful for them as well as useful for the work they undertake. For some, these will be small and very specific, such as teams which embody for specific targeted purposes. Others will be interconnected with not just one, but myriads of groups, such as teacher supervisors, who are connected not only with other teachers, but with the beings in the soul groups they teach and mentees who are learning how to be teachers. Still, other souls will work with groups who are connected to facets of the Akashics beyond embodiment, such as those who form and maintain linear time, healers who help souls which have become damaged in one way or another or the Angel Core, which maintains the safe functioning of all things Akashic. As most people embodied on this planet are lesson learners who are working with their soul group in some fashion, most of what is taught about soul groups is geared towards individuals recognizing and or remembering them. There's a lot of information about figuring out who is in your life, is part of your soul group, who isn't, and how to find the ones you haven't met yet. This assumes everyone's soul group is here, most of the people we have deep connection with are a part of our group, and we would only ever recognize or deeply connect with our own group. This could cause a great deal of confusion and frustration for those who either haven't connected with anyone this way, or seem to connect with everyone this deeply. So what can be done to sort this all out? Well, the place to start is how you formulate your questions. There are any number of ways to ask for information about a spiritual connection. There's tarot, muscle testing, yes and no stones, pendulums, Akashic meditation, prayer, lucid dreaming, asking your guides directly, numerology, and the list goes on. Different methods give different levels of information, and this skill and or ability of the practitioner means your mileage may vary. All will give you insight and information, which can help lead to clarity. No matter what method you use, what helps prevent or dispel confusion is what questions you ask and in what order. I think of it a bit like a decision tree. Start at the beginning and work your way down until you get a clear yes answer. For example, question, is this part of my own soul group? If yes then I'm done. If no, then question. Is this person part of a different soul group I work with often? If yes, then I'm done. I can ask further questions about how I work with them and so on. If no, then question. Is this person someone I contracted with for a specific purpose or lesson in this lifetime? If yes, then I'm done. I can ask further questions about how I work with them and so on. If no, then question. Is this person someone I'm creating a new connection with in this lifetime? If yes, then I'm done. If no, question. Is this person someone I work with as part of my career or calling? If yes, then I'm done. I can ask further questions about how I work with them and so on. If no, Then the final question, please tell me how or why I'm connected with this person and how I'm to interact with them going forward. So, understanding how we're connected with someone and what this connection means can release us from behaviors which keep us stuck, remove unnecessary guilt, allow us to move forward where we have held back, and illuminate our path forward into a happier, healthier state of beingness. Awareness of our interconnectedness with others opens doors in this lifetime to further unfold our potential, and creates new opportunities for our and their becoming. What door will you move through next? And that's all the time we have this week. Next week, we'll be working with your Akashic Relationship Book, one of the easiest ways to get the 411 about someone and what they can, and do, mean to you. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a minute to show it some love on iTunes. Your comments are also appreciated. Thanks. Bye.